Welcome again to the Making Disciples Everyday podcast here with the Brentwood Baptist Church family of churches. I'm Paul Wilkinson, and we have a special episode today where you'll be hearing from the Kairos uh, teaching pastor, Chris Brooks, on leading from below. A powerful message about how we ought to be servant leaders, understanding our place in the kingdom of God, and making disciples with Jesus through our sacrifice and humility. Enjoy. Hey, Kyra, so glad you're here with us tonight. I'm Jacoby, and I would love to continue our worship this evening uh, by reading our text for tonight, because we believe that the reading of the Word of God is central to the worship of God. That's why we're here. We want to teach Scripture clearly, and we want to follow in obedience. That's our heart. And so we are going to continue winding our way through John chapter 21 tonight. We have been walking with the disciples and asking the same questions that they were. They have been confronted and comforted with a real and resurrected Jesus in the days that followed Easter Sunday. And they're asking the question and we're right there with them. We're saying, now what? What do we do with our lives now that the grave hasn't held Jesus back? Now what? And so we are gonna continue that journey with the disciples. We're gonna see how for them and for especially the disciple Peter, that meant peace. That meant repentance, that meant restoration. And tonight we're gonna see it's gonna mean a new destination for him. So before we dive into God's word, let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us ears to hear? Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? Together we say, speak Lord. Your servants are listening. We'll pick up tonight in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verse 18. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jack. I'll say bless the Lord if you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Good evening, Kairos. I'm Chris, I'm the pastor here, and I bid you come and die. Uh, not usually the way I like to introduce myself or Kairos. Um, I kind of like our mission statement, which is we engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ, anywhere, anytime, with anybody. I like sometimes to be able to say Kairos is our honest and unique attempt to connect to God and each other. And for me personally, I want you to know that I've given my life to creating spaces through creative communication so that the broken can become brave again. 
When the mending of souls happens for me, there is nothing more sacred and sufficiently satisfying than I would give my life for it. But tonight I have to put my personality and my preferences underneath the authority of scripture. And the text we just got dropped in, in John 21, Jesus is saying, follow me again, recalling Peter, but letting him know the exact kind of death that he's gonna die. Simply put, Jesus says, Peter, I bid you come and die, follow me. Now that phrase is a rearticulation of a German theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. There's a wonderful German picture of him that'll be on the screen shortly. He was uh, a pastor and theologian um, uh, during the rise of Nazi Germany. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship and in it, he has this quote. When Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids them to come and die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was raised by German parents. One was a teacher, one was a psychiatrist. Uh, he was proficient at music, but in his early teens, all of a sudden he announced he wanted to be a theologian. Gifted at academics and theology, he entered the university system by the age of 24. He graduated with his doctorate from the University of Berlin, Magna cum laude laude. Uh, side note, I tried to legally change my name before my college graduation to Christopher Brooks, Magna cum laude, but it, it just didn't happen. Just, so anybody, any future kids, name your kid Magna cum laude, just because there's gonna be a couple of times where that's really funny. So he graduated um, and then he's 24 years old, but he's too young to get ordained as a lead pastor in his denomination. So he comes to America to do some postdoc studies. He goes to a seminary in New York City, but he's a German snob. He's wicked smart. And he says, there's no theology here. Um, if you ever read German theologians during this time, they're, they're very heady and very difficult to understand at times, but God blesses them in their own way. He actually makes friends with a fellow seminary student named Frank. Frank's African-American, invites him to his church in Harlem and enrolls Dietrich Bonhoeffer from Germany and begins to be a part of this church family, starts teaching Sunday school class and he realizes in the process, the African-American congregation teaches him to read scripture from below. He sees it from an oppressed people group who are suffering injustice even in the segregation of church world. And it infuriates him that the principles in scripture are not even practiced in the church. And so he heads back to Germany after he's been schooled in the school of from below. Peter's gone to the school a couple times. You guys have watched his journey throughout his apprenticeship to Jesus as his rabbi. He's got to get low so he can see it from below. Now, you could argue that Peter was from an oppressed people group, the Jews. They're under Roman foreign occupation. But time and time again, we see as he follows Jesus, there is still tyranny, bigotry, and arrogance in his heart that has to be killed for him to step into his role that Jesus has for him in the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 13, right? Jesus is walking and teaching. Jesus, or Peter gets the answer right to the pop quiz. Who am I? You're the son of God. Congratulations, Peter. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. On this rock, I'm gonna build my church. Petros, awesome. Then he goes on to explain, the son of God must suffer, be betrayed, suffer, and die. 
And the text says, Peter rebukes Jesus. Yeah, yeah, that's no way to live. Uh, That's not how you run a ministry. Let, Let me just tell you, here's what you need to do first. And Peter steps up and steps out and realizes he's not fully clued into what the cost of discipleship and following Jesus really is. Because doesn't Peter do what we do when we first decide to follow Christ? We jump on his bandwagon because we wanna baptize all of our hopes and dreams and use Jesus as a good luck charm to get everything we've ever wanted and thank him for it. But then he says, I bid you come and die. And slowly you're selfish Self-aggrandizing dreams will be replaced with self-sacrificial dreams for the sake of others where true significance and security lies inside of my kingdom. It continues to go on, Peter. We get him in John chapter uh, 13, I think it is, um, where he's, it's not John 13, it's somewhere else, just trust me. (laughs) They're getting ready, they're going in uh, to the Lord's Supper, Jesus gets low, which again, he doesn't like that as a leadership style from Jesus. He tries to wash his feet. Peter says, no, 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 you, you don't do that, okay? And they have an awkward conversation when Peter asks for a bath and Jesus just says, it's getting weird, Peter, stop. Um, and then ultimately there's a conversation that breaks out that night that who's gonna be the goat disciple, the greatest of all time in the kingdom of God? And I can guarantee you, Peter's right up in that mix, again, trying to put up self-aggrandize, arrogance. This is what power looks like in the kingdom of God. It's who's the most prominent. And once again, he has to bid him to come and die. He winds up later at the Garden of Gethsemane trying to chop off a soldier's ear, again, using the power structures of the world. And then also Jesus has to remind him, hey, by the way, you're gonna deny me three times before The sun comes up and he said, I would rather die first than ever deny you. And he goes to the school of from below when he realizes what it's like to betray his rabbi. But we've been walking through his incredible repentance and restoration, this incredible reinstatement and recalling and recommissioning by Jesus. And it's been so sweet and tender and sacred and profound. And just when you think like all the big bow ties are coming on, Jesus just drops, hey, by the way, Peter, when you were young, you went where you wanted to, but when you get old, someone's gonna take you and stretch out your arms and take you where you don't wanna go. He was hinting at how he was gonna die. He was gonna be crucified. And then Jesus says, if you're still in, follow me. And church history would hold the fact that when it came, probably about three decades later, Peter's time to die and he was crucified. He requested to be crucified upside down because he was unworthy to be crucified in the manner that his Lord was. I bid you come and die. Question I have for us tonight. Are you truly following Jesus or just fooling yourself? Do you have a Christless Christianity of convenience? Or are you taking up your cross daily and following him? Are you truly following Jesus or are you just fooling yourself? Are you truly submitting to him? He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Are you fooling yourself and he's just one way? He's one voice in many of the voices when it's time for you to actually make a decision because what actually you're following in your life is your way, your truth, and what matters to you most is your life. 
But that contradicts Galatians 2.20 that says, I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me and through me. I've been crucified with Christ. Are you following Jesus or are you fooling yourself? Are you picking up your cross daily and following him? Or is it the first thing you drop the second that you're distracted or discouraged? Are you truly following Jesus? Are you loving him with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself? Or are you fooling yourself? God just gets your leftovers. Your leftover attention, your leftover concentration, your leftover time, your leftover finances, and your leftover commitments at the end of the day. You plan your life around you, and if there's any margin or anything left over, then maybe you'll tip God at the end of the day. And we all come running back when crisis hits, but as soon as we get back to normal, it's life is normal. Now, hear my heart as a pastor. I'm not trying to get you to question your salvation right now. I'm not trying to take you through the meat grinder of guilt and gut punches of you're not doing enough. That's not who I am. What I am trying to find out is where are you currently dying so that you can truly live? What is hindering you from experiencing the full catastrophic love of Christ that lays waste to every other desire that is currently destroying you? A mind ruled by the flesh is death, but a mind ruled by the spirit is life and peace. And I'm concerned about how many of us, including myself, my mind is currently set on what the flesh desires and it's producing anxiety, fear, and reservation when it comes to the cost of discipleship and the radical requirements that Jesus laid out to his followers that we now view as optional. I got sick last week. Um, last Tuesday, I was not feeling well. Wednesday, I staggered, and Thursday, I went down for the count. I just, I ran it too hot for a little bit. Um, I'm embarrassed because my wife has more energy than me and more ambition, and it, it's, it does nothing for my shame issues. But Thursday, I did not get out of bed. I self-diagnosed myself with bronchitis. Um, I, I was hacking up uh, geological specimens that the Smithsonian was trying to commandeer. Uh, We've got plenty of people with allergies in our house. I don't know if this happens to you, but uh, like when someone has a cough and you have a cough, the second you hear someone cough, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't stop it. It's gonna feel so good if I just hack this right now. Okay, try to suppress it. It's like, a, like you know, when people yawn, you start to yawn. It's the whole cough, thank you. Now I have to do it. <coughs> you hear that? Oh, that's fresh. Yeah, we're on the mend though. Here's what I need to confess to you as a, as a man and a human being. When I'm sick, I'm dying. I'm dying, all right? I, 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 my wife's like, how are you? For 2.3 seconds, I have a brave face. I'm fine. I'm dying, okay. It's all over. I, I'm, I go down emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. I spin out awful worst case scenarios in my bed. I start bargaining with God. All my theology goes out the window. It's, it's, it's not pretty. But I would submit to you, spiritually, I wanna be around more people who in seasons of life are fine with saying, I'm dying. 
And there's no shame or fear attached to it, but they see it as a healthy process by which they follow Jesus and become more like him. I'll be around men and women who go, how are you doing? I'm dying. I'm dying to my sense of entitlement. I'm dying to the fact that I'm always stressed out about finances, even though I have more than enough for my basic necessities and I have more resources available to me than 98% of the world. I'm dying to that greed and it's not going quietly. I wanna be around more men and women. I'm dying to my obsessive need to control and manipulate every single circumstance and relationship in my life because I don't know what it feels like to be safe and secure in the arms of God. I'm dying. I wanna be around more men and women who as a sign of spiritual health and in the context of community got no problems with, hey, how you doing? I'm dying. I'm dying to the fact that I am bored and I am lonely and I am constantly seeking other outlets to satisfy my flesh because truly I don't trust God. I'm dying. And I just wanna start applauding and go, and I bid you come and die because on the other side of that is resurrection by the spirit of the living God. And I wanna be the type of man who is able to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil for you are with me. I want Jesus to be closer than he's ever been in my life, even in my darkest doubts and fears. And I need to know, and I've gotta know that for each and every single one of you in here, he's after your character because you have a role to play in this kingdom and he's going straight after the things that are hindering you the most. Let's stop dancing around it. Let's stop sidestepping it. Let's stop saying there's this perfect existence somewhere out there that exists. Men and women, we serve a suffering God and we're following a suffering servant named Jesus Christ. We are called to suffer for and sacrifice for the sake of others. That is where purpose and significance truly lie. Not in you getting everything you've ever wanted and then thanking God at the end of the day for it as some sort of touchdown dance. Where are the men and women who take seriously the claims of Jesus Christ? And when he says, follow me, and we hear, I bid you come and die, we hear his words echo, whoever wants to save his life must be willing to lose it. And it's not easy. And it's usually not pretty. Most of you will probably go down squirming like I do when I have bronchitis and it's a-okay. I think sometimes, I told Jesus the other morning in my quiet times, I said, I just need to crawl up in your lap and whine like a five-year-old toddler who wants lucky charms, okay? (laughs) I know what I'm about to do, but I'm not hiding it from you. Oh my gosh, Lord, what's going on? We don't have to live in misery. That's not a sign of spiritual maturity. But dying and be reborn, calling to die so that we can truly live is an integral part of the cost of discipleship. If not, refer back to Bonhoeffer. He calls it cheap grace. It's forgiveness without repentance. It's discipleship without discipline. It's baptism without church discipline. It's community without accountability, if I was putting it in modern terms. Back to... Bonhoeffer, he went back to Germany. Hitler starts to come on the rise. He's got a promising career as a professor and a pastor. 
And all of a sudden he realizes culture is shifting very, very quickly. It, we look at the back with perspective and we can make incredible moral judgments, but you gotta understand they're still recovering from World War I. Their economy is slumped, and here comes this leader who's promising economic prosperity and all of a sudden is using it to baptize it with the word Christianity. And people are getting caught up in it. We don't know anything about that, do we, in the civil rights movement? But anyway, back to Germany. He's getting caught up in that. There was even one professor that, or one pastor that was quoted as saying from the pulpit, Jesus Christ has come to us in the form of Adolf Hitler. And at that point, he steps back and sacrifices his career and his reputation and with some other pastors and theologians established the confessing church, which says the rising power in our government is anti-God. And he has to go underground. 24 years old with a doctorate, head of his class, promising career ahead of him, spends his life on the run developing an underground seminary. And I'm concerned about my ministry trajectory. He winds up opposing Hitler and ultimately is arrested for smuggling seven Jews out of Germany. Once he's arrested, it's also discovered that some of his friends that he's with are friends with people who have a plot to assassinate Hitler. They're thrown in prison, ultimately a concentration camp. And on April 8th, 1945, he is executed by hanging. It is said, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer walked to the gallows and to his execution, which by the way, three weeks before Germany surrenders. He walks to the gallows and says to a friend, this is the end for me, comma, the beginning of life. In his biography, they found the doctor who was there at the concentration camp and asked him about Bonhoeffer and he said, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer praying serenely and in my 50 years of being a doctor, I have never seen a man die so completely submissive to the will of God. Kairos, I bid you come and die. Let's pick up our cross daily and follow Jesus. Amen. We're gonna take 120 seconds. What we wanna do is we wanna preach the Bible clearly and let you respond. We want a through line. We want the radical, simple, succinct teachings of Jesus, follow me. And that means you will come and you will have to endure a series of deaths. And so I just have one question for you tonight. I want you to think about it and pray through it. What do you currently need to die to so that you can fully live in Christ? What is it that you currently need to die to so that you can fully live into the life Christ is calling you to live? Let's listen and pray together.